great to see you all here today. I uh, want to encourage you, particularly in this hour of what God is doing in the church, um, I would encourage you to bring your old-fashioned Bibles when we come together. Digital is great, but there's something about the touch and the feel. We really do bring a strong emphasis of what it means for us to be in the Word together. Um, so our challenge is always the turn the page challenge. Get an old-fashioned Bible. Start in the book of Genesis. Every day, turn a page. Write the date at the top of the page. Maybe mark something down. A brief prayer. Lord, awaken uh, the fire of God in my heart today. Your great-great-grandchildren will one day pray your prayers as they read through the journaling that you do in your Bible. It's just a great uh, legacy option and opportunity that we have. Please don't get tired of hearing me reference this because it really is something that I think is so important if the body of Christ will just learn to be in the Word of God. Uh, I believe God will really awaken so much within us and within the generations beyond us. So today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24 so you can get your old-fashioned Bible and turn there and we'll get there in just a few moments. Um, I do want to just say thank you for uh, the prayer cards that we received on our worship night. Um, you know, we've taken those. It was just a night of focusing in on what it means for us to listen and pray. And there were cards on all the seats, and many of you wrote revelation that the Lord was speaking to you. We've uh, had those in Tuesday morning prayer. We meet here at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays. And so we've had those here available for those praying into that. We've distributed those um, to our staff, our elders, making sure they're aware of what the Lord is speaking to the body of Christ. It's pretty important that we hear the Lord together as a family. So I want to just voice appreciation for that. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? Uh, I really believe in the power of prayer. Here's the issue, though. A lot of times we believe in the power of problems more than we believe in the power of prayer because we allow problems to have home field advantage, and we talk about them more than we do about how God can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. I'm looking at you with really clear vision right now, and I appreciate your prayers in my direction. The doctor told me that after the eye surgery I had last week that my vision would be worse, not better, for at least a month. And uh, my vision is immediately way better. God is just giving great advancement in all of that. Come on, I'm just declaring that over all of us. Good reports abound in Jesus' mighty name, health sweeping across the nations of the world as God begins to awaken hearts. Thank God for revival that's breaking out in Kentucky on a college campus. Uh, wonderful things are taking place. And I just I want you to know we're really devoted to what God is doing in the earth in this hour. And part of our role uh, as a church family is to work with and oversee a number of different churches. We serve with this apostolic team in England, and we're doing events every two weeks all across the UK called Fuel the Fire. <laughs> that is coming, Fuel the Fire USA Hard to believe, one week from Friday we have that here. So you'll see on your seats just a handout. Take a look at that. Hang on to that. <clears throat> Please register for that if you've not already done so. Again, we believe in the power of prayer. So one week from Friday to launch into that weekend, we're going to have obviously the uh, Friday night service with Steve Upple in from the UK, 7 p.m., and then Saturday morning, all morning ministry time, a ladies' lunch with Esther Upple. Uh, that is for ladies only while the guys break out to lunch wherever they'd like. 
Um, but I, I want to make sure you understand, a week from Friday is a day of fasting and prayer. And we believe in the power of prayer. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's easy to amen about praying. It's not always easy to sacrifice to actually pray. And so I encourage you, number one, find your rhythm in pursuing the Lord in places of prayer and reading Scripture on your own individually early in the morning as you start your day. It's a great way to pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's something Jesus taught for us to pray, and that's not something you pray later in the day. There's something about Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark outside, often withdrew to the lonely places to pray. I encourage you to find your rhythm of pursuing God, but I also encourage you, sometimes we need to just uh, make it a point to really believe for God's kingdom to advance, and that's what one week from Friday is about. We're going to be here in a day of fasting and prayer. It'll be from 9 to 2, focusing in for the weekend. I want to encourage you to know that this is not, when we talk about Fuel the Fire coming, this is not just uh, a great time for us as a church, though there's something really rich that happens in all of our hearts. But I want you to know uh, that this is like Easter service on steroids. And what I mean by that is like people are coming from all over with their hearts full of anticipation of what God is going to do. When you get believers that are really hungry, all in the same room crying out to God, how many of you know all heaven begins to break loose and all hell begins to scatter and, <laughs> and run? And so um, I had a pastor tell me this last week. He said, you know, we came to feel the fire last year. They, they're about an hour away. So we came to fuel the fire with our staff, and our spiritual DNA was so shifted. He said, I have announced to our entire church this year, if you serve in any role of leadership, playing an instrument on the worship team, leading a group, you're required to go to fuel the fire because the spiritual DNA is going to shift and change your life. This is one of the churches that we work with. we got people coming from uh, New Mexico, from Texas, our Destiny Table joining us online in New York. Uh, they're going to be coming as well, uh, our friends from the UK. So it's really, I'm not trying to give you a big advertisement pitch. I really want you to, to stir in your heart to believe that this will be a very significant weekend. How many of you know what God's doing in Kentucky? He desires to do in Oklahoma City and all over the, the nations of the world. And so, Lord, we're just saying Would you come and have your way? Lord, we know that the Western world church particularly is plagued with a perspective, even uh, as we're gathering in the course of the weekend in the Western world church, there's there's a difficulty with convincing leaders taking more of a prevalent role than a convicting God. And I just say, uh, Lord, I lay the tremendous treasure of influence that you've entrusted to my care. I lay that at your feet right now. And I just say, Father, would you do what you desire to do within each and every heart? Forgive us, Lord, where we've made church into more of a Christian commodity that we can market, package, advertise, and sell. When actually this is about the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ that sets the tone for us to learn to love, serve, and give sacrificially 
as we surrender to you and allow you to have your way. So, Lord, certainly in our moments together, as we break bread in your word, as a family, I pray that we would just sense the nearness of God in it all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. I want to just encourage you in, um, in this regard. Just We don't do a lot of talking about giving and you know, we don't pass buckets and that sort of thing. Uh, we invite you to give as an act of worship to the Lord. And I want to encourage you in that. You know, this I've had a number of people tell me they're very thankful that we're hosting this event and not beefing up some, you know, big registration charge and that sort of thing. And it's just an open event. We want everybody to come. Even the lunch that'll be provided to all the ladies on Saturday. Um, but I would invite you as a church family, there's some people who don't tithe, some people maybe used to tithe. I would invite you to explore the generous nature of God in the way we bring our tithes and offerings before the Lord just to honor Him and to see His kingdom expand. And, um, and let's prepare our hearts as a church family to receive one of our elders, uh, Stephen Esther, serve in that role and capacity of eldership from the UK with us. And so we want to be a blessing to them. So I encourage you to give in the giving stations on our app. Text give to the number that will pop up on the screen. Um, but I encourage you, let's prepare our hearts and, and really be faithful in our giving and just allow the Lord to cause his kingdom to expand through our surrender as we walk it out. How many know God's wanting to take us deeper? This is our New Year's Revelation 2023, deeper. Um, if you haven't gotten your little bookmark, I encourage you to get it. Pick them up. There are different locations, tables around. Um, but just to have this in your Bible or maybe you know different places you want to have uh, in your house. But our theme verse is, as we keep his commandments, 1 John 3, 24, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. <laughs> I don't want to just read it. I want us to really think about what this is. We live deeply and surely in him. There's this depth and this certainty of what it means to really live in him. We live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. Aren't you glad? And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit that he gave us. So we want to grow in that understanding and grow in that revelation. Um, we really began to experience a challenge and give you a little bit of a history of destiny. Uh, when, when COVID hit, many of you know we were on the road to launching another campus. And I really feel like the Lord spared us from that, not that it is a bad thing to do. It just wasn't our assignment in that season of time. And rather than trying to launch into another campus and, you know, spin up that expression, what we felt like the Lord was saying was back up from that and really teach people to engage. This is what, uh, this is what all of us as pastors and church leaders learn through COVID that we have, and just hear, hear this out, we have relied far too heavily on our gatherings as our primary source of discipleship. You have to understand this. You're not going to be effectively discipled in a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder relationship looking at a speaker talking to you, whether you're online with us right now 
or whether you're sitting in seats right now, uh, shoulder to shoulder uh, listening. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling, so we know there's a purpose about the assembling. But how many of you know God's calling us to do more than just assemble generally, but we need to build relationships specifically. And COVID then, all of a sudden we couldn't come into a building, taught us that we had relied so heavily on the gathering as our primary form of discipleship, and, and it actually hadn't effectively made disciples. So out of that, the Lord began to teach us the revelation of the table of the Lord and what that looked like. And we went through a process of months of exploring that. And right now we're going back into a little bit of a deeper understanding in this season of deeper of going back to the table. What is the table of the Lord really all about? How do we move from just shoulder-to-shoulder relationships from to a nose-to-nose, heart-to-heart relationship? That's where the kingdom of God is best expressed. They, they met in the temple, we read about in Scripture, and they met how? House to house, or in smaller groups together, getting to know each other more intimately. I, I want that for you. I have that in my life. There's something so enriching about that in my life. I want that for every believer to understand. But it doesn't come cheap, and it's not just going to come easy, and you can't just you know, expect to get that out of showing up to a service you know, average attender in America now every four to six weeks and their consistent church attender in their mind. How I many you know the world has shaped our ideology more than the kingdom of God and the word of God in many respects? I'm just going to go directly to all of this in the conversation today. So if you would, just put on your seatbelt, strap on your helmet, whatever you have to do. I just know the Lord wants to peel back some layers of how the church has been more evangelized by the world than the world has been evangelized by the church. There's this ideology. There's a guy named George Ritzer, and he coined the term the McDonaldization of society. And this is how fast food principles in our society have started to dominate our ideology, our cultural ideology, and our biblical theology in many ways. McDonald's serves people really well who are in a rush. How many know that's true? It serves people really well. You're in a hurry, just swing through. How many of you have ever gone to McDonald's and thought, man, I just love the atmosphere of this restaurant. This is just beautiful. I just want to sit here for, let's just take an extra long time with our meal to enjoy the McAtmosphere, right? Nobody. You know why? Because McDonald's is not about atmosphere. This might shock you. McDonald's isn't even about quality food. It's about acceptable food in a hurry. They don't necessarily want people lounging in the building because that's not what they're here to provide. You know what they're here to provide? For you to put something into your system on a, in a rush on your way to wherever it is you're trying to go. And they do that extremely well. I'm not faulting them for their business plan. That is their business plan. But you then, in a rush, buy into that business plan as something that accommodates your life, and you're ingesting this food, not having any thought of the nourishing value or the lack thereof, because you just need to eat something and you're on the go. And this McDonaldization has infiltrated into the way we think in our society, and it has greatly impacted the church world to the point now where we're providing 
brief, concise services on the go. You can have your busy life just pop in. We'll keep you briefly. We'll give you something spiritual to ingest. And you don't need to be concerned about the nourishing value or the lack thereof. Just get your Christian duty of going to church out of the way so you can go on with your busy life. This is not what we see in the gospel defining what the Bible says is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody, let's just join together. Let's shake this thing off together in Jesus' mighty name. I'm not here to be critical of anybody, but I am here to say there are some leaders that have come together that are saying we want what God wants more than we want what anybody else wants. So let's just think about this together as we lay the groundwork on our journey of trying to get to Luke chapter 24 today. When Jesus wanted to explain to his disciples what his death was all about, he didn't give them an informative lecture. He gave them a relational meal. This is the table of the Lord. This is the demonstration of the priority of God. How many of you believe a relational meal is a vitally important part of true life? Not merely existing, I'm talking about truly living. This is really important that we understand it. I, I, another element of this that's key, I'm just some bullet points of some of the, uh, the ground that we've covered a few years ago even, but just some things that I know we need to come back to and understand maybe on a deeper level. It is ineffective to embrace the message of Jesus Christ while abandoning his method of delivering it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just this informational value of morality. It's the essence of humanity embracing a sacrificial lifestyle together as a way of life. That's what causes the kingdom of God to expand in the earth. We have to embrace not only the message, but the method. How many of you know Jesus was always eating? Like he was either going to a meal, he was at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. And we've joked and said, if you're not careful, you eat like Jesus. If you don't walk like Jesus, you're going to look like Buddha. So make sure you're walking if you're eating as much as Jesus is eating. But there's something about the meal that's utterly significant to the kingdom of God. A shared meal is the most basic expression of hospitality, and this could be the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom. How many of you know families are healthier if they share in the family table meal together? Children grow up in a better, well-balanced perspective and disposition if the family has some tradition of the table where we have interaction on a meaningful level together as a family. The reason that this is the case is because it's just God's design. You've heard it before, most of you in the room, the three most favorite phrases people love to hear worldwide, not just in our land. The three most favorite phrases, number one, I love you. Number two, you're forgiven. Number three, let's eat. 
Those are the three most favorite phrases. It's a beautiful expression of the reality of ministry that's born from the heart of God that you and I are created in His image. For God so loved the world, I love you, that He sent His Son to forgive us, you're forgiven. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door and let me come in, I will sup with him and he with me, let's eat. This is ministry. I'm going to slow my life down enough to let you know that you matter. I love you. You're forgiven. Let's eat. It's a beautiful expression of ministry. So today, no one eats alone. I want to talk about the table, but I don't want to just talk about the table, throw in a few bits of humor, give you my best TED Talk clever, and we walk out here and say, well, that was great. I want us to get a revelation of the table and then walk that out together. So today, no one eats alone. Today, at the conclusion of, of my uh, sharing, I want us to receive communion together. We've got communion stations up here prepared, communication back there prepared. We're going to receive communion, but then we're going to go and walk communion out on a deeper level. No one eats alone. We're asking everybody. I've been talking about it for a few weeks. Those of you who've been here, you know I'm asking you, have lunch with somebody somewhere. I know some of you have got like meals prepared at home and friends, people coming over. Some of you have already talked about restaurants you're going to go to with who. Uh, the, here's the thing. I encourage you, don't just default to somebody you always hang out with. Nobody eats alone. As we conclude today, I'm still not exactly sure how I'm going to go about this, but we're going to try and get everybody connected uh, so that if you want to go to lunch with somebody, we want to try and help you go to lunch to somebody that we can just experience the table of the Lord together as a family. Wow, Lord, just um, that's kind of how I feel right now. <laughs> Would you help us to understand your nature in the midst of all of this? Give us guidance, direction, and instruction, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. This is our best effort of mobilizing everybody to the table. It's our best effort. It's still a corporate effort. kingdom of God involves a great commission. It is not an institutional mandate. It is an individual mandate. You can even kind of struggle through, grit your teeth and go to lunch with somebody today and get it out of your system and completely miss the point. This is not about that. This is about you letting God do something relational in your heart where you understand we live in a society that's been so McDonaldized that we blaze past the things that really matter to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you. You're forgiven. It's something to celebrate, isn't it? Let's see. Let's come to the table. And this is about you doing this in your five-foot circle as a way of life.
And I want to give you a little bit of a basis why. In your Bible, in Luke chapter 24, this so struck me this last week. I've been praying into it all week long just for me personally. Luke chapter 24, verse 30 to 35. When he was at the table with them. This is Jesus after he's risen from the dead. And now he's here visiting with the disciples and they have not yet recognized him. How many of you know if, you, if he was dead, you're not expecting him to be alive? So for whatever reason, they're not recognizing what, who he is in this moment. He was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is important. We're going to keep reading. But they... They recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread. People will more readily recognize Jesus in the breaking of bread. I want to just say again, we must be careful not to try to embrace the message while abandoning the method because this is not about uh, theological information. This is about relational revelation. And it's born from the heart of sincere compassion, sacrificial love, concern, and care for those around you. And so here their eyes were open and they recognize him. And then he's suddenly gone. It says that, they, that he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, this is key, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road, big statement, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. You know, we've talked over the last few weeks specifically um, what it means just to make a difference in the lives of those around us. And what happens when you start acting uncharacteristically uh, like the world, people notice this. How many of you know your citizenship is in heaven? Like you are a different species according to scripture. It's kind of a wild, uh, but you're a new creation is what I'm referencing when I say that. Don't get weird on me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, you're a new creation. This is like you're born now of an origin that the world doesn't understand. Do you know that the word love that translates from the Greek word agape didn't exist before Jesus came on the scene? And agape was a word that translators had to make up to define this love that came from heaven into the earth there wasn't even a word for that frame of reference this is the kind of love you and I are supposed to carry and when we learn to function in this relational sacrificial love to the people around us they're going to say something like this what is wrong with you and when they're trying to figure out what is wrong with you, it then will start to reveal to them what is right with you and help them begin to see what might be wrong with them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loving others well. 
I'm not talking about getting your four spiritual laws and your manipulative evangelistic uh, effort that has been institutionally empowering individuals for, you know, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? This is what you say. This is what you do. This is how you do it. I'm sorry, but the institutional methods that we've tried to integrate as the church simply are not going to be effective. It's you individually being who God called you to be with the relationships that you have around you and loving those people well and being led by the Spirit in conversational relationship with the Father, in conversational relationship with people around you, and Jesus starts to show up and love starts to make a difference. You don't have to change anybody, you just have to love them. Don't try to change them, just try to love them. Don't put any hook in the bait of your love. Don't put any requirement. You're not trying to talk people into going to church with you. I mean, I know in the church growth world where church growth is the idol, that's really not what I'm supposed to say. But I just say, let's get rid of all the idols and lift up the name of Jesus and love people well and see what God might do in our society. Just love them well. So this is interesting because they have this meal and suddenly they know Jesus in the breaking of bread. And, and just think contextually, like broad con context of this. Like it all was ruined in the very beginning when Adam and Eve ate a meal that did not include God. And in the beginning, we see that. We know that ultimately the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be a meal in the conclusion as we're all restored and, and received into our, our, you know, the next phase of what eternity is supposed to look like for us. But somewhere in between, we see this. So again, Adam and Eve ate a meal that did not include God, and then it was like they became unaware of the presence of the Lord. They died spiritually, no longer walking in that deep sense of communion. It's almost like this story is an intentional rewiring or a reversal from the curse into a blessing because it is so curiously aligning to what happened in the beginning where they ate and they didn't know God, and now they eat and they do know God. And this is the way we're supposed to live our lives. This is like we're supposed to walk this out relationally, paying attention. How I many you know God wants you to have words of knowledge and prophetic insight in the way you're walking, to have a sense of discernment that somebody's having a hard day and just going up to them and saying, hey, uh, I just, you know, however, you, however this works for you. Again, I'm reluctant to tell you what I would say because I'm not trying to institutionalize what your phrases ought to be. Stop being cliche and you be you. Just love people well. I love you, you're forgiven, let's see, like I care about you. Just voicing that you care about the people around you out of a sense of discernment activates God's kingdom in their life, and they're just not going to know what to do with you. Just like people didn't know what to do with Jesus. Everywhere we go, we bring God's presence to real life. Will you say that with me? Everywhere we go, we bring God's presence to real life. Literally. Everywhere we go, we're just sensing what the Lord is saying. We're watching him do something with grace and favor in any given moment in time. When we sense the Lord leaning in on a conversation, 
we're leaning in on a conversation. We're not too busy to lean in when we sense the Lord is leaning in. And when we sense the Lord is lifting off of a conversation, we step back and we don't just try and force anything. Everywhere we go, we bring God's presence to real life. This is such an important reality for us. This is the centerpiece of who we know God's called us to be as a family. So we say that phrase all the time. The conclusion of every message is this GP2RL. That's God's presence to real life. Everywhere we go, we bring God's presence to real life. Action point of the week. We really want to bring an emphasis and understanding of what that really looks like. But you need to understand, and I want you to hear today, you will not go deep with God if you do not slow down in your life. I shared with Tracy and the girls yesterday that I have I am literally standing in the fear of God as I say to you what I'm about to say. I have struggled with it. I've argued with the Lord. I feel like it's too much. And the Lord has just cautioned me. Do not let people that have allowed the world to define their beliefs to hold up the theology that God wants to awaken us to. That's no shot to you. We're all in this place. We're all very evangelized by the world. We're so evangelized by the world that we've treated, we've treated gathering together as the church and our a sacrificial disposition in the way we're being the body of Christ, we've treated it just so common and haphazardly. And, and the Lord wants to awaken us. You will not go deep if you do not slow down. So I'm driving you to the statement I want to make. I want you to hear it. I, I've said this a few times now, and again, this isn't a statement. I'll let you know when I'm about to say it so you can put your helmet back on. Hurry is an enemy to God's kingdom. Hurry is an enemy to God's kingdom. The more you structure your schedule in a way that you are stressed out and in a hurry, the less loving you're going to be to the people that are on your path. You look at the miracles of Jesus, and what you will find is Jesus' miracles primarily took place in moments of interruption. You need to process that. Somebody's, he's walking, somebody's daughter's about to die, and somebody grabs the hem of his garment in a crowd of people that the Bible describes as crushing. And he's like, this is important. I've got to go here. And he stops, and he says, who touched me? And the disciples were like, well, isn't it crazy? Can you imagine what it would be like to be a disciple walking with Jesus? You shouldn't imagine it. It ought to be your everyday life. You really ought to be having these moments with God all the time where he's just challenging the paradigm. He's teaching this group of people and somebody starts sawing a hole in the roof. And I'm, I'm looking at this realizing the miracles are happening in moments of interruption and I'm so deeply convicted because I'm thinking in my busy schedule, how do I handle moments of interruption? Dismissing those moments so I can get on about my day and missing maybe the miracle God had in store. So here's the statement. Some of you need to restructure your lives. Some
some of you need to restructure your life. Not just because you need to restructure your life, but because your children are watching your hurried lifestyle. And when their observation of hurry exceeds your revelation of Sabbath, they're not going to be trained the way God wants them to be trained in the idea and the concept that I'm talking about. Some of you need to restructure some really significant things in your life. The world has convinced you that you've got to strive and work so hard and spend all these hours. I had a conversation with somebody this last week who's, I mean, uh, when I first met them, it's just been maybe six months ago, um, they, they were just constantly anxious and stressed and, and, and contending with just feeling, I mean, they were working so many hours and just trying to make it all work. And, and they, on this journey, really began to surrender their heart to the Lord. They, they talked with me about, you know, I just want to honor the Lord with my tithe. Now, I want you to track me on this. I'm not trying to talk a, a tithing sermon, though sometimes we need to have that. But I want you to hear what I'm saying. And they, they said, you know, I used to work all these hours and I wasn't tithing and I had to get it all done. And, and then I started tithing and realized I need to learn to be at rest and I'm working less hours and trusting God more and now I have more money. And I just thought, isn't that the essence of our walk with God? Isn't it supposed to be a walk of faith? And yet we get so self-sufficient in the way we're making it all happen. And then like we can't even honor the Lord because we're stressed out about how am I going to make. Some of us need to really restructure. I was driving to a meeting and, and there's a school zone. And as I'm coming to that school zone, I'm slowing down because I'm an obedient speed limit driver, unlike the person I married. And as I'm coming up to that, that school zone, I'm realizing that there's a person wanting to turn into the school parking lot. And, and as I'm, you know, I've got to slow down to speed. But, but they did not appreciate the fact they were waiting on me to turn and I was slowing down and not getting out of their way. And I didn't realize they were not appreciating me until the guy driving the car with his probably nine, ten-year-old son in the passenger seat starts flailing his arms like that, and then he's like, doing that. <laughs> and I did a few gestures back. No, I didn't do it. I did not. But I was just like, what? I mean, what is wrong with you? I mean, that's what was going on inside of me. Like, I am in a school zone here. What is wrong with you? And he's like, ah. And you know what really grieved me? As I drove by and I'm looking at this horrible attitude. As a nine-year-old boy is being exposed to his father's hurry in such a way that it's ingraining something in that child's life. And I just drove past and just began to pray for the child. And then I began to pray for the man, the father. Lord, I don't know what. So stressed that getting in that parking lot one or two seconds earlier 
you know, caused him to have his heart so full of rage. But Lord, we need your kingdom to invade this stressed out earth where the rest of God begins to awaken something at peace within us and we're not living with anxiety disorders because we've just allowed ourselves to go there. Hurry is an enemy to God's kingdom. I say all this to say um, it's easy for you to hear this and dismiss me because you're convinced that this is just out of touch. And as we kind of started into this journey weeks ago, I felt like the Lord was cautioning me in that. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged when people dismiss what I'm desiring to reveal. And I didn't understand it until one of the Sundays I got up and talked about this very concept of, of hurry. And, and I, I, I can kind of sometimes tell when my words just kind of get about this far and fall flat. And I felt like that first Sunday, that's kind of what happened. But as I've continued to speak about this hurry, I feel like it's just kind of clothing us more and more. And I just hope you'll be discerning to what God is revealing and not dismissing because the society has convinced you that hurry is the way of life. It's the way of the new generation. I don't want you to know we are all about exploring the ancient anointing as revealed in Scripture. And hurry should not take control of your life. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that you have to fight and rush and hurt. You just simply grow and are nourished and you abide in Him. And out of abide fruit just becomes the expression of your life but you've got to learn to rest some of us need to change our schedules so I want us to have communion together how many of you in the room just by a show of hands without you know the unemotional pull how many of you in the room you're convicted about hurry I want you just to raise your hand high just hold them up And so what I want us to do is to receive communion together. And then, after we receive communion together, normally, you know, we do different things to dismiss and so on. I'm going to close today. I'm horrible at closing, so just bear with me. When it comes to that point, I'll do the best I can. Um, but then I'm just going to dismiss us so that we can connect and take not only communion in this context, but then take communion to the table. And let's go have a meal together. I know. How many of you have stuff you've got to do? I've got to. I've got to. I'm asking you just to slow down. So if you stand, Pat's going to come and play some communion music. <laughs> She's got the perfect communion song picked out. We've got these uh, little communion cups up the front here, here, and back there. If you'd like to receive communion, then hurry up. Go get them. At the beginning, for those of you online who were with us, I voiced that we were going to be receiving communion at the end. So if you would just find 
Whatever that looks like, um, bread, cracker, juice of any kind, it's more about the symbolic expression uh, than it is about the specific item. So we just want to participate together as we acknowledge the Lord's doing a deep convicting work in us. We want to embrace the sacrificial broken body and shed blood of Christ. Isn't it a beautiful, beautiful reality <laughs> to know that God sent His Son, Jesus, because He desires for us to walk in a living, loving, conversational relationship with Him as our Father. Like, that's crazy. It's just so easy for us to say because we've, you know, become so familiar with it. But boy, can we just understand that? And, and there's some of you maybe online or maybe even in the room and this is an important thing for you to understand. This is not just some religious sacrament. Like this is an expression of the reality that you have come to the place of saying, I recognize Jesus died on the cross for all humanity to be reconciled to God. Like Jesus isn't just one of the wonderful ways to God. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way to be redeemed, to, for humanity to be redeemed to the Father who desires for us to walk in communion to Him. So can I just hear by the declaration of your voice a, a, a resounding amen if you believe Jesus is Lord and you recognize that in your own life. Would you say amen? As we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. We do that in a variety of ways. We can get hung up on how that's supposed to look, but it's about a lifestyle expression. Then what we say and we, what we understand is that Jesus had this meal. It was the Passover meal. It was the last official uh, Passover meal foretelling the coming of the Messiah. And here Jesus was about to be crucified. And he's with his disciples. And uh, if you'll take your bread. He's with his disciples. And he says to them, this is my body. <laughs> like he's making a declaration of revelation. This is my body. And, and, and he owned the cup. <laughs> Like, you have to understand what was going on in that moment is utterly significant. It wasn't just a general cup that, that Jesus was referencing. There's this progression of the Passover recognizing the cup of the one who would come. And when he said, this is my cup, he's owning the cup. He was saying, this is my body, this is my cup, this is my blood. I am the covenant that has come that you might have life. And what that does is it invites us to the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord. It's an important reality for us. The table and the altar are eternally inseparable. What does God do in the presence of your enemies? He prepares a table. Like we're supposed to walk in this ongoing fellowship and communion, even in moments where we feel a sense of attack. We can still love others. If we stay true to the table, follow the sacrificial example of Christ. 
So, Lord, today we just acknowledge that it's your broken body and your shed blood that brings us to the table of the Lord in a wonderfully relational way. So today, Lord, in memory of you, we take and we eat and drink. Church family, would you eat and drink now? Would you help us to get a little better understanding of what it really means to walk in this revelation of Christ as we have some clarity that we can't separate the message from the method. So we come to the table with you and we gather at a table together and we ask, Lord, you would take us into a deep place of communion with you and communion with others, learning to experience and explore deeper, more meaningful lives together. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.